Welcome to the Lifelinks Podcast, a platform to amplify Latina voices, to validate their story, and engage the comunidad worldwide. I'm your host, Consuelo Crosby, and also creator of this content. If you would like to chat about what you've heard here today, then reach out to me through our website at thelinks.com. That's L-N-X-X. Or through our Instagram profile at Lifelinks. I'd love to listen and engage in whatever you have to say. Hola, chicas. Welcome to the Lifelinks podcast, where we share the full picture of a first gen vida, validating each other's journey and lifting one another towards joy and success. This week, we have a fun and exciting guest for you. Don Walsh is a native New Yorker who spent most, if not all, of her professional career in corporate retail. But like many, once the pandemic turned her world upside down, she realized it was the best thing that could happen and used it to follow her passion and start her own business. Dawn is an avid puzzler, lover of all things geek and nerd culture, as well as a fan of subscription boxes. She founded Puzzle Culture as a way to bring together her passions in a new and unique way. She is the first Latina who has founded a puzzle company. And she adds her own special touch, her love of artwork. It's the artwork in her puzzles that both differentiates puzzle culture from other puzzle brands and ensures she can bring diversity to the puzzle market. We're so grateful to have you here, Dawn, and are excited to hear about these puzzle subscription boxes. So welcome. I'm so excited to be here. We had a great first chat and you have a huge life experience for your life already. Let's dive in. Tell us a little bit of your cultural heritage and your upbringing. Sure. Both of my parents were Puerto Rican. My extended family is from Puerto Rico. We grew up on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. So grew up in what is lovingly called the projects, as many people may know. (laughs) So low-income housing. My mom grew up in Brooklyn with all of her family, her aunts, all of her mother's sisters, they all grew up in the same building. Like they were, they lived in the same building. So when they moved from Puerto Rico, they all moved to this one building. So they like just took over the whole thing. So it's very interesting. (laughs) She grew up with all her cousins and everybody around her. And my father grew up where we grew up on the Lower East Side of Manhattan after his parents moved from Puerto Rico. Okay. So were they born here, born in Puerto Rico? My parents were born here. Oh, okay. Yeah, you had your entire extended family right there in the building with you. Was it culturally in that area, large Latino community? Yes, it was mostly Latino and Black people who lived in the neighborhood. And then a little bit of the Asian community moved through. And then eventually Chinatown was very close to us. So it definitely started to meld a little bit. And it's always something I think about now still. Like if we would go out, there was this this restaurant that was a Chino Latino restaurant and it's such a thing that you hear about now but it was always like that was like our place to go and it was a Chinese Puerto Rican restaurant and they would make fusion like dishes 
And I was always like, no, this is this is normal, right? This is normal. And I didn't know whether it yeah. was or not. It was just what we grew up with. But I guess it's it was normal for us. That's funny. So what would be a favorite dish or what did you typically order? What does it sound like? So you could get fried rice, but with your chicharrones. Very much like you could just mix whatever. There were yeah. some dishes there, like they would do breaded shrimp and mofongo or like things like that <laughs> where it was just like very yeah. Chinese and Hispanic food. It was just so funny, all of it together. And it was yeah. always delicious. <laughs> oh, we don't have that out here in California. We do not. Peruvian, we have the Nikkei, which is Japanese fusion with Peru, but that happens in Peru. So I recently learned that that's a thing. Like Chino Latino, that's a thing. And in the, in the islands too. But I didn't know that. It was just like, oh, this is no. just the restaurant we go to. But I've, I, that is actually like a common thing. So you were immersed in your culture then as a young person. Yes. As a very young child, yes. Like our grandparents were still here. I had a lot of cousins around. But then I would probably say, I think when I was around six or seven, a big chunk of the family moved back to Puerto Rico. So at that point, we became a very nuclear family as far as like family. But in the neighborhood, it was a very close, like tight knit neighborhood. So there was definitely a lot of a lot of camaraderie with the neighbors and yeah. with our friends and, you know, Aww. all the, the ladies in the building who would look out for us, the little Aww. ladies who would tell yeah. on us if we would do something. <laughs> <laughs> so typical. <laughs> so typical. How many moms do you really need? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So did you embrace your cultural identity? It wasn't a problem for you growing up? I think growing up, it wasn't something that I ever really thought about, right? Like it was just, Mm -hmm. this is normal every day. This is how we are. But I think one of, now looking back, like one of the things that I regret the most was that we didn't learn Spanish. So I never spoke Uh Spanish at home. My parents, being that they were here already, spoke English. They spoke Spanish and they would speak Spanish to their parents and to their neighbors. And to I hear my mom talking to all of the ladies in the neighborhood in Spanish. And so I picked up on words, but she never spoke to us, to me and my sister in Spanish. So we did not speak Spanish at home. So unfortunately, I am the Latina who doesn't speak Spanish. Yeah. Happens a lot. And and disappointing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. But also, like, I feel like in the 80s, you have to go to school and learn English. Like, you have to speak English. It wasn't as embraced and important to continue the language, I feel like, back then. It was, you have to be part of the American culture. So, yeah, unfortunately, I wish. Like, now I look back and I'm like, oh, I wish I had learned how to speak Spanish. Because even now, like, if I try, there is this, like, shame. I feel like when I was like, do you speak Spanish? I'm like, no. Don't. Don't. So embarrassed. And I wish I could learn. It's so hard, though, because. If you're not speaking it on a regular basis, if you don't have a lot of people around you supporting you while you're speaking Spanish, like it's hard, right? Like it's it's just hard to learn another language as an adult. And so I would love to, but I don't know that it's going to happen. Yeah, but that's important to share. It's important to get that narrative out that very recently in a young person's life, it was not okay to be speaking Spanish here in the U.S. as close as the 80s. It was not encouraged to live your culture out loud. 
It was not encouraged to carry out traditions to boisterously be Latina. <laughs> yeah. It's only now that there's this freedom, and it's from people battling to keep their culture, to take the risk of going out there and living it out loud. But it could be ostracizing. It could also not get the opportunities, deny you opportunities yeah. career-wise and all. Yeah. I remember in school, like, the kids who spoke Spanish, they were in a whole different program. They kept them in a whole different mm -hmm track like they were treated differently even if they didn't speak English right away coming into school right I felt like it, it like put you on a whole different path as opposed to speaking English right away and going into the classroom it was very different there was no embrace no acceptance the bias started right away and yeah. you were tagged as probably not as smart it was rather cruel and all that yeah. Yeah. I was around lots of other people like me, but I was also around people who weren't. And it never felt polarizing there. But going to school, I went to public schools in the city. And I think growing up in New York, it's also so easy. There's everybody, right? Everyone's yeah. here. There's so many cultures, so many different things. So the 80s and your mother, having been born in the U.S., assimilating in yeah. one regard, but you are living the culture and you don't even know it until <laughs> until later. Yeah. Was there a time in your life when you did feel a bias? The, the weird thing is I didn't feel it until like I started working in the corporate world where it was like, okay, wait, I don't fit that norm of the professional looking person. Making sure that I'm dressing the right way. Is my hair the right way? I'm not going in with my curly hair. I'm going to straighten my hair every day. But that also started a little earlier. I think just straightening my hair was the norm when you're young and you want to look pretty like the girls on TV, right? Um, oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so you would go to the salon and get your hair blown out, right? All the time, every week. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay. So the assimilation was real. Yes. This is what I'm supposed to look like. Yes. But so it was more of an aesthetic. Yeah, I think it was more of the aesthetic. There wasn't, growing up, there wasn't any Jennifer Lopez. When I was yeah. watching TV, you see the people that you see. Although it's so funny that like in the yeah. 80s, girls were like big hair spray, like this thing perming and doing yeah. all this stuff. But it was not natural. So yeah. for it to look natural was weird. So you had to make it straight and then make it big. Oh, my Lord. And I just have my natural hair. As I think back, I'm like, what was I thinking? But I was thinking I wanted to look like all the girls in the magazine. You were going along that course. You did face the bias, but you didn't realize it at the time until looking back. When, when I was working in corporate, I was in retail, corporate retail for most of my career. And there's definitely the pressure to look the part. And once you start making a little bit of money, you can buy the clothes, right? Like the clothes are not mm -hmm. a big deal. Although it might not always have been what I wanted. But, you know, you got to look professional or you got to do that professional thing. So I'm buying the jackets and the, the slacks and the button-down shirts, which... Button down shirts never fit, but you know, you got to figure it out. But there's always that 
okay, I can be a little creative with my clothing, especially in retail, yeah. right? You can wear bright colors. I've never been the black. Like, I'm not going to wear yeah. black, right? That's yeah. just not. But the hair was always felt unprofessional to me for me to oh. have big curly hair. I would either wear my hair pulled back in a bun or I was straight. Oh. No one would know that I had curly hair oh. ever. That was not a thing. So it just, it never felt like it looked professional to me to go into a meeting with curly hair. So I was always straightening and pulling it back because it just didn't feel like that was professional looking. Even though I know now that's just not the right way to think. But, you know, I was young and I was trying to climb the ladder and this is what I saw everybody else looking like. Now, you're a woman in corporate. There weren't many women in corporate during these no, times either. it was not. So that was always very just obvious, right? There's women up to a certain point, right? And mm -hmm. then on that stage is all men. On this level, it's all men. You're in retail industry, which is, catering to women right, right. like right. for the most part like if you're in a right. department store they're talking to the women the women are the ones shopping for their entire family like this is it and all of these things like from a buying planning like all that stuff it's being catered to women but it's being run by men across the board and so there was always that like okay I'm, I can get to this level right like maybe yeah. I could get to that position but anybody above that is definitely one not a person of color at all. No people of color. Zero. And most of them are men. Um, if there's one woman. Oh, that's so true. There, right? There was like yeah. one. There was the one blonde woman. So how did you view yourself? And then did you feel like, what's the point in trying to move up the ladder if there's no me up there? Or I was never, a, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop trying. I was definitely going to keep trying no matter what. I think as I continued and progressed in my career, it was nice to see that I could continue moving up, even though there were definitely blocks along the way. Yeah. But it also helped me to be like, okay, I can do this and I can help somebody else come up from behind me in this way as well. And hope. And as time went on, I you were starting to see more women, right? There were the beginnings of some of those initiatives. There were the beginnings yeah. of the employee resource groups in big corporate like okay. it was starting so there were things happening so it was like there's a light there's a light like <laughs> in my keep, keep going in my lifetime yeah that's my hashtag in my lifetime you, you want it to happen but yes. along the way you just feel like quitting a lot it's of tough. times it's tough it yeah. is yeah i think it's tough for the young women even now being told to get the education and they have a bachelor's, but they also have a master's and then they have two masters and then they have a PhD. And it's just the pressure to yeah. perform and say, no, I am good enough. I do belong. And yet, like you experienced in corporate, was it 3%? 3% people of color are in management. We're not even talking executive. We're talking yeah. management. <laughs> management. Right? <laughs> yeah. So you get to executive. It's hello. You have to start your own company. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. I know yeah. a lot of times, right? Yeah. And so it's tough. I think there's industries that have made progress, but there's still so many industries out there that are a complete boys club. 
mm-hmm. let alone having people of color break in. There's yeah. we always get the double, right? We get the women and and the person of color. It's like, right. Wait, Those I'm are getting two different hit, groups. I'm getting hit twice. I'm getting <laughs> hit a few times. But you did stay with it. You did rise. But then you took a segue. I did. So uh, talking about starting your own company and being in charge, tell us about your exciting new venture. Yes. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, which kind of upended everyone's lives, right? I think it's just everyone. The company that I was working for went bankrupt. And so I lost my role there, Mm. which at that point I was the VP of my division. Awesome. Which was fantastic. Yeah. Congratulations. And for me to have a VP title before 40, I was very excited. Louder for the people in the back. (laughs) (laughs) VP title before 40. As go girl. Huge accomplishment, right? That was amazing. But then they went bankrupt. And I was left in the lurch during a pandemic when nobody was hiring anybody. (laughs) And I think I just took a moment to just take stock. What is it that I wanted to do? Was this even still the right path? Working in the industry for so long, is it what I want? Do I want to go back out there and try to find another job like this? I just took a step and I was like, you know what? I want to do something different. I've had this in my brain to have my own company, to start my own business. I've went through like a few different iterations over many years of should I start something? No, it's not the right time. Should I start something? It's not the right time. I'm too busy. I have this. Right? <laughs> Is all these ever things. the right time? Though? <laughs> never the right time. <laughs> I started, so I started a business in the middle of the pandemic. Like, cause that was the right time. <laughs> so I decided to follow a passion of mine, which is my hobby of doing puzzles. So I'm a huge jigsaw puzzle fan. Nice. Um, I'm a huge puzzle fan in general. Like I'm, I do math, logic, like all those kinds of fun things, escape rooms, like all that stuff. Right. But jigsaw puzzles is that's my meditation. That's my solo. I can sit here and just be screen free, no craziness. I'm just going to concentrate on my puzzle and just do it. And it's so relaxing. And I also, I'm a huge fan of subscription boxes. And the subscription box industry is growing like crazy. And so I wanted to do a subscription box. So I decided to go and go forward with that with my puzzle. So I did a ton of research. I did a ton of digging on how I could make this happen and what was going to be like the best way to move forward with this. All from my dining room and (laughs) my little laptop. Wow. The computer in my dining room. And I got it going. I got it started. I have an LLC. We are Puzzle Culture LLC. And and I launched. Yeah. I launched a few months after that. So I launched in June of 2020. So wow. it did not take long for me to just get that ball rolling. Um, wow. You exploded yeah. into the founders. <laughs> story because yeah a few months three months later you had yeah. it all so you were right on the verge was it always wanting to have a, a puzzle company 
No, it wasn't always a puzzle company, but it was definitely an like around the passion for artwork. And so a big part oh. of what I'm doing with my puzzles is I'm using independent artists for all of the artwork. And so that's always been a passion of mine is art and independent artists and supporting them. Huh? So it's definitely something that I wanted to incorporate into this. Yeah. So the puzzles. So do you take their artwork or is artwork commissioned for your puzzle? I shouldn't say take. Let's rephrase that. Do you license with the artist? Yes. So I license the artwork from them. Sometimes it's been original artwork that they've made just for me for the puzzle. And sometimes it's artwork that's already existing that they have available to license that I can use. Yeah. And then I create a theme around that artwork and I curate gifts to go into the subscription box. So you get a whole like experience around that theme of the artwork. Do you have a theme that you could share and explain further? Like- sure. Perfect for here. So my October box was Latina Heritage and I had artwork from a Hispanic artist from Brooklyn. So the whole box was art and products from Hispanic owned businesses. So oh. I had Ella Adobo in there. I had plantain chips in there. I had Nicho, a Nicho frame sticker. And you're like, you use the Nicho frames for the other Los Muertos. Yes. Uh, so one of those stickers and then her artwork on the puzzle. And it was beautiful. Oh, that sounds awesome. So this is a subscription box that goes out monthly. It goes out every other month if you're doing a bi-month. And then I also do quarterly. So oh, every auction. other month is a 500-piece puzzle. And the quarterly yeah. one is a 1,000-piece puzzle. Because you need that long. <laughs> that people need longer so people I, I do that like in a couple days like if, yeah, yeah. It depends. oh that's so exciting congratulations yeah. no, that's really fun yeah. and exciting i love the theme idea and the subscription option the okay. website is puzzleculturebox.com so we will have that linked in our show notes on the episode and in the website and that will click through and they could check out the subscription box when would the next subscription box be coming? We have our fall box out right now that we're taking subscriptions for. So we're taking through November 30th for the fall box, which is our fall forest. Those are shipping out now through probably the first week of December. Yeah. And then we will have our bi-monthly box starting in December. So we'll be taking those. You can subscribe now through December 15th for one. Ooh, that will be pretty. Is that going to be really complicated are the puzzles complicated is the artwork complex i think there's a mix so sometimes it can be a little challenging and sometimes it's just a fun image and it is it your full-time it is not my full-time job it was for a little while but i as a small business owner starting out it's hard to support yourself (laughs) when you're everybody right everybody right it's just it's tough the need for income is real and no I needed to go back into the workforce and once a couple of years into the pandemic yeah there were things starting to open up again but it was also a a, we'd moved out of the city we're up in mail pack now we're not in the city anymore there was a whole different thought process of what do I want to be doing now Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give up my business, so I need that flexibility. 
I also am not going back to the grind. I look back on what I was doing and the amount of time and energy and stress and just unhealthy work situation that I was in. And I was like, I can't go back to that. Not after this. So just make sure that as I was looking for a role that I was clear on what I'm going back into. And I found an amazing job at the Lego group. Um, Oh, love of Legos. Yes. Which is doing 3D. Oh, seriously. Oh, it totally is. Yeah. You're following instructions. If you're doing the set. If you're just like (laughs) doing random building things from your imagination, then that's a whole different set of creative skills. Yeah, but but um, they don't give you instructions for 2D puzzles. They don't say, (laughs) put this piece here and put that piece there. Yeah. So Lego, congratulations again. What's it like working Lego corporate? Yeah, it is. So Lego is still family owned. So that is already a whole different vibe from working in a publicly traded company. Or profit at all costs company. (laughs) Yes, profit at all costs. The culture is the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced in a working environment. Just, it is such a family-oriented company. It's a toy company, right? Like, they care about kids. They care about family. They care about their people and their people's lives and well-being and mental health and all these wonderful things that a lot of places don't care about. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. And it's really great. And it's a hybrid work schedule, so I don't have to go in every day. They're in Connecticut, so I'm not going into the city anymore. It's lovely. Just everybody that I work with is wonderful. It's global, so there's like a whole other Mm. aspect that I hadn't even experienced before. So that's all new for me. Chatting with people from the UK, from Denmark, from China, from Singapore, just everywhere, which is really cool. (laughs) Our factory is in Mexico, like all these people. Yeah, so it's, it's really great, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So do you think it was the pandemic, the hard stop, or in combination with, okay, you did the hard stop, got out of the toxic work environment, had time to reflect, would it have been enough or was it in combination with you starting your joy company for you to step forward again and say, okay, now I know what I want? Yeah, I think the business had a big part of it. I think the hard stop with the pandemic kind of made made a lot of people just like, wait, what was I? How? What was I doing? Right, what, right. what was happening? <laughs> you're yeah. right, like you go through your day. It's like every day you're just going, you're going, and you don't stop to think about what am I doing? Is this what I should be doing? Is this making me happy? Like, am I like okay with this? Am I yeah. cool with getting up and? running around and dropping my kid off here, going to work there, taking the subway, like doing this, doing that, spending 10 hours at work. Is that good for me? Is that okay? No. No. Um, But it's just, it's something also that I had worked for so long, right? Like you worked so long, so hard to get to a point. And when you get there, it's okay. This is what I've been working for. So it has to be right. I have to keep doing this. Do you think that's a cultural influence would that have been a cultural influence to walk away after getting to the point that you had set for yourself to be successful in 
Maybe a little bit. I feel like you're not allowed to give up. Coming from where I came from, being a low-income family and working so hard, seeing my mom work her butt off and seeing my dad work, they were hard workers and they wanted to provide and to get opportunity for me, for my sister. And you're not allowed to fail. It's not fast. Yeah. No, it's real. I think there's also just a really strong work ethic in the Hispanic community, right? That's just part of who we are. So it's just, it always feels like this is just, right? Like this is just what we have to do. I just have to work really hard to make, and I have to make it work. You do what you can with what you got. Yeah, that is a powerful quote right there. Very powerful quote. Yeah. yeah, hard work ethic, very resilient, almost too much because you don't stop. Almost like if you feel like if you did stop, maybe subconsciously you knew if you did stop, you maybe wouldn't start again because you know how hard it is, but you just keep going. There is that cultural <laughs> mix. Of whether I think it's in the DNA. A lot of it's in the DNA, but then a, a lot of it comes from knowing that your parents worked so hard and struggled even to get here. And there is that don't let the family down mentality that gets tied into the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Seeing my grandmother when she, after she moved, she would come back. She would spend months with us and she would come back to work. She would come back. She would work in the factory. She sewed baby clothes. She would sew and so she would, that's what she would do all the time. She would come back. She would work for months yeah. hard, save up her money and then go back to Puerto Rico and fix up the house. Like she would do what she needed. And so yeah. it was like, you just, that's what you see, right? You come, you're going to work hard and then you go and you do what you got to do. In corporate, we were talking about the lack of representation of people of color at the executive level, let alone the management level. In what you're doing now in the puzzle industry, is there representation in diverse cultures? I think it's starting. The puzzle brands have been dominated by a few, right? There's the Ravensburger, there's the Cobble mm. Hill, like there's a few, and those are all very men, white male owned businesses. But I think recently there's been a, a much bigger influx of indie brands, a lot of them from people of color. I've seen a lot of women, Black women, starting their puzzle businesses, and they're beautiful. And so they're just like celebrating their heritage and their culture and in their puzzles and the artwork, and it's amazing. I've met a few of them. They're beautiful, wonderful women. I have not met any other Hispanic puzzle brand owners. So at this moment and point in time, I think I'd be only one. Wow. Oh my gosh. You met her here first, everyone. Don Walsh, first Latina puzzle company. There's other lots of women-owned brands too that have popped up over the years and very recently a lot more. So I think we're starting to take over um, the women out here in the puzzle world. But yeah, Latina, I think I'm the only one. Congratulations again. Oh my Lord, it's just in your blood. Well, you touched on something because you love math, you love figuring puzzles out, but you also have a very creative sense that you have the love of art. So I'm a lot like you for the same reasons. And I call that you have both spheres firing. Like they need to stay balanced in attention and activity or things get a little wonky. 
Like you can't just go total analytical because you'll get really bored and you can't go too far in the art only because you don't come back. <laughs> you drift away into that beautiful vision of possibility. Do you have a side that maybe gets more attention, you think, that you love a little bit more? I think my analytical side is definitely gets more love from me. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm a very logical person. I don't know how much of that is from my upbringing as well. I'm a planner. I'm a controlling, like I need the solution based like outcomes. I need to know like I'm going to take these steps. I think a lot of that is just from having a little bit of a turbulent teenagehood after my father passed away. And um, yeah, and just kind of having to go it alone at that point. And so it became a very much like I have to figure things out and manage. And I think a lot of it comes from that. That makes a lot of sense. Sure. Cut the chaos. Make sure I'm going to be okay. Because that must have been frightening to lose your father so young. You did have to figure things out by yourself. Yeah. And I think there's just that comfort and there's always a solution when you're working on math. Right. There's no like this math problem is just never going to have an answer. No, there's an answer. <laughs> there's a reason you can figure it out. You know, you can work through it. You finding that the skills from your upbringing, both culturally and just human condition, really created some personality traits that make you primed for business and leadership because you see the problem. I want a solution. I'm going to figure out how to do it and it will have an answer. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, as a business owner, like just being able to one, be resilient, right? That's super important. But yeah, being able to figure things out, find that answer. And I think a lot of trial and error, right? You're going to test and learn and test and learn. It's super important and just being able to pave your path yourself. Is that something you would share for the next generation coming forward? Because they might hit a barrier still. There's still barriers. There's still cultural barriers. There's still systemic barriers. What would be a word of advice of continuing through that? And maybe what would they balance? So from a barrier perspective, I think we all just have to keep pushing it, right? Like we just have to keep at it. Finding your network, finding your group. As an entrepreneur, it's been so great finding other people in my boat. <laughs> finding those other entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs especially, and learning from each other. Entrepreneurs as a general statement are very helpful people. They want to help you succeed. They've been through it. They've been through like all this craziness of starting a business and they're happy to share that. I've talked with a couple people already as well. Just here's how I started. And I think just finding that network of people to share and know that you're not going at this completely alone. There's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of people out there that are going through the same like issues, challenges and questions and like, how do I do this? Thing on my website, you know, like all those things that you can learn. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to do that every step of the way. You want it to be your own personal thing and you want it to be unique and that's great, but there's so much out there that you can take 
and use that knowledge for your own good. And then I think just continuing to help each other. Yeah, I just think that we, as women of color, as Latinas, as everything, we just need to keep on trying to build each other up and stick together and in, in making those changes. I think the more that we let things divide us as a group, the harder it gets. Stop splitting it apart. Yeah. You're talking about networking. I'm putting myself empathetically in the shoes of a young 20-something-year-old coming out of this cultural first-gen experience, trying to find a network, and you're saying, meet everybody. That's got to be intimidating. It can be really tough. You know, when I was first starting, like, I didn't talk to anybody, right? Like, I just went to work, didn't put my head down, and did my work, right? There wasn't Uh, this whole idea of networking. I think that came a little bit later. And especially now as an entrepreneur, it's just so important. But I think there is so much out there. And I feel like even now, like this, the younger generation is so used to social media Mm -hmm. and they're so used to speaking to people online that that you can find so much. But there's a lot of books out there, even from a non-career path point of view and just finding a group of other Latinas to Mm -hmm. talk to and just sharing our experiences as Latinas, even coming onto your podcast. I think it's just listening to your podcast and hearing the other women that have been on. It's just, it's empowering to just hear other stories and just listen to other people. I think there's so much that we can get from opening ourselves up to those kinds of things. Say, oh, wait, she's talking about something that I've been feeling. You're like, oh my gosh, yeah, not just me. Yeah, Yeah, that's huge right there. It's not just me. Because I really feel, again, the first gen experience where you don't know, you have nothing to compare it to and you never will except other first gen. And you don't know what's off or why until you hear someone talk about it. And you're like, that's a Exactly what it was like. Do you have some vision of yourself that is still out there? Do you have this idea of what you see yourself later in life doing? Yeah, or I, I think so. I'm right now. I'm very content. I love the Lego Group, and I love my business. I think there's still more. Right? There's always yeah. more. I always want yeah. more. I think working for the Lego Group just feels like there's a lot of opportunity, right? Because I I love traveling. I love seeing new places and knowing that I could potentially work in another country for the Lego group is exciting. Um, Totally. Definitely interested in travel for sure. And I think continuing to work on the business, eventually I'm hoping that it becomes more of a household thing and going from there. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I think it's a Latina DNA, a Latina thing. Live life large. You just want to do it all. Let's go try that. Let's go do that. And learn it on the fly because you had to learn it on the fly. It's definitely part of your brain structure, right? (laughs) Do you have a cafecito place? Now it's on my deck. So I have been making my own coffee now. Although, so here's one thing that I do want to get from my cultural heritage. I don't know how to use 
the pot, the espresso pot. Yeah. That hit me, yeah. That being the grandma has the silver one at the top and the bottom. I want one of those and I need to learn how to use it. So that's on my list of things that I'm going to do. But since we moved up here, I just, I love taking my coffee outside now and just sitting on my deck in the house and being in nature. Oh, that sounds so beautiful. That could be one of your subscription boxes. Cafe con leche. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. I think a Cafe con Leche subscription box, I'd order an event. I love that. I love it. It sounds amazing. And my brain is already going. <laughs> I can see the heat waves. The steam's coming off. It's so funny when you think about like coffee, right? And you would go get coffee from the bodega, right? And the coffee at the bodega was the best coffee, right? Like it was always amazing. It was like 50 cents for coffee, right? But it was amazing. It was great. And then you go to like chain, like a Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts, and they take over. And their stuff doesn't even taste like anything. It's so expensive. There's no yes. love. There's nothing. It's just like, is it? You go to you go to your bodega. There's love. You chat. You talk. Yeah. You have all these things, right? Like over there, you go to the Starbucks and it's give me blah blah blah. All right, next yeah. blah blah blah. Next. They don't even know how to spell your name. <laughs> that is so huge. I have taken so many pictures of having my name spelled on the cup. Oh my gosh! Oh, I can't I just, even imagine. Oh, the worst one had a P. What? Where? Pon Swallow. Oh, pon, God. Pon Swallow. Pon, pon, night. It sounded like a type of bird. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah. And the flight of the Pon Swallows as they enter <laughs> into their migration system. <laughs> it's so funny, though, because yeah. my name does not sound like I'm Puerto Rican at all. At yeah. least not anymore, but even before. So my maiden name was Toledo, right? Toledo. Toledo. And nobody's saying Toledo, right? You're saying yeah. Toledo. <laughs> my name was Don Toledo, which does not sound Hispanic. Oh, is the like, your name's Don Toledo? Are you Spanish? I'm like, yeah, it's Don Toledo. Do I need to say it? Toledo, yes. Stop bastardizing <laughs> it. I think you just, you Americanize the names too right like it's just it's a thing it's just easier right like at some point when my parents were like younger or when as we're growing up i'm not even gonna fight with you now it's just say toledo now i would never right like now if my name was still toledo i would be correcting everybody you'd be like no it's now it's totally toledo and that's yeah. the fight and that's the beauty i think that culmination of okay that me and you are two different generations coming back and saying oh hell no Coming up against the Gen Z <laughs> that are like, already, hell no. I mean, it's just like a tsunami of, yeah. oh, hell no, this is our culture and this is the way it will be. And mm -hmm. proud of it. Totally proud. Before, it was always just a fight. And Dawn is a very strange name for, my, I don't know why. My mom just really liked it. I think she heard it in the song. It was in a song. Like, it was hard growing up as Dawn when you're surrounded by a bunch of ladies who don't speak English very well and can't pronounce Dawn. So uh, my grandmother yeah. couldn't even pronounce my name properly. <laughs> what would she say? What would it sound like? Down. 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 <laughs> Down. And you wouldn't respond. A lot of Hispanic ladies still I hear them still. They try to say my name. It's like, because A-W yeah. is a hard sound in the Spanish, that's not a thing. Um, and such a hard, like, where, 
Yeah, that's a tough one. So after I got married, do I want to change my name? There was definitely that whole thing in my head about whether or not I was going to. And um, I kept my name, my social security card. So my name is Don Marie Toledo Walsh. Like I have all of my name. <laughs> all of them. I was like, I'm not getting rid of it. I'm just yes. adding to it. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Has your cultural viewpoint come more to the surface so that you want to share it with your son? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's challenging because I don't have all of the resources within sure. myself. Right. Sure. Like, I can't teach him Spanish. Right. Like, I could teach him words. Right? So he's learning his little words here and there. He's going to be like me speaking Spanglish. So I'm hoping that maybe he'll want to learn it on his own at sure. some point. But there's the here's the food. Like, I can cook food. So here's the food that I love eating. Or like, I have to put my own spin on it now because I'm vegetarian. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a lot That's of a little tricky. <laughs> not work in Puerto Rican food when you're vegetarian. But there's still a lot to do. So I can make plantains. I made yuca yeah. the other night. Trying to like keep the food going in a yeah. big way. I think that's super important. Yeah. And then just, just talking about it and having him to see me and my personality as a Latina woman. Thank you so much. I'm very grateful, again, to have you on and sharing your stories Always a wonderful pleasure speaking with you. I feel Aww. like our conversations are just so easy. There's so much to talk about. If people want to reach out to you to talk about all the amazing points you brought up, you're a great mentor for both corporate and entrepreneurship. Do you have a personal contact? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. Super easy at Puzzle Culture Box on Instagram. So they can DM me. If they wanted to see me personally, it's Donnie, D-A-W-N-I-E, 230 on Instagram as well. And they can easily DM me there. We will also have that information so people can reach out if they have questions about everything you brought up or definitely joining the subscription for the puzzle boxes. Uh, we will have that on the show notes, the website, and our Instagram post that we will have because we really want the world to know about this first Latina puzzle <laughs> entrepreneur. You're amazing. I think we have touched on a lifetime. Really feel that every Latina out there has such a huge life and they live life large and they're so curious and fearless. Shelf number two, fearless, <laughs> resilient, power through and joyful. Always with a smile. So yeah. thank you so very much. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you. I'm so I loved it. I loved it. Thank you. Oh, that was awesome, right? How eager are you to get online? Check out puzzlecultureBox.com and find these subscription boxes. Perfect timing for the holiday season coming up and even those last Scorpio birthdays and going into December. We have a lot of December birthdays still ahead of us. Take advantage of Thanksgiving ending and gearing up for that love and compassion of all your amigas. And next week, we have yet another awesome Latina founder, Rosa Revuelta. Rosa started her own consulting business. When she was tired of hearing the corporate lament, 
If only we could find some Latina talent to bring in a management and executive positions. What was Rosa's response? They're right here. Rosa will be on next week to share her story and guide us through her founding experience for a company that provides one-on-one leadership coaching for first-gen BIPOC leaders and leadership development group program for organizations who want to invest in their internal talent. Have a fabulous Thanksgiving with your friends and your family. And yes, American Thanksgiving is not my favorite. And I know a lot of you out there have mixed it up and added your own cultural favorites into the mix. But all in all, it is about gratitude. It is about gathering. It is about taking a moment before the craziness coming where we learn to breathe in all our gratitude and love from others and exhale into the embrace that we are here for each other. Let's increase the comunidad and continue to thrive in all the blessings we have been given. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Step into your truth, ladies. Ciao. Really appreciate the time we take to rate and review the podcast. Get the backstory and what you've heard here today and reach out to us at thelinks.com. That's L-N-X-X. Because it's about time, it's about us. Stay in the groove on our social media at LifeLinks and get ready to make your move, ladies. Viva!